Hello and welcome to Honest Theology, a podcast where we ask real questions about a real faith in a real God. Today we're continuing our conversation on the Bible, asking how do I read it? Don't just read it, read it and reread it and then mm. re-re-read it. Slightly. Well, it's, it's interesting. Which anyway, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. So it wouldn't work, it would it really? It didn't in the first instance. I'm Paul Serstad with Dr. Hugh Osgood. Let's be honest. Okay, Hugh, we're going to jump straight into uh, some literary styles. Um, okay. Is it a... It's not a novel, is it? It is not a novel. But people tend to read it or try to read it as a novel. Um, yeah, that's probably because that's their most familiar style of literature, so they think everything's like that, really. Yeah, so, so novel is uh, something that we're used to today, but... This book is older than novels. Yeah, definitely. So what is it? How, what are the different styles? That, okay, that well, there's, a lot, there's a lot of poetry in the Bible for a start. Okay. And one of the things about poetry that people often miss is that uh, words are repeated for emphasis. It doesn't mean when they're repeated for emphasis it's bringing a different concept. It's just reinforcing the existing concept. Yeah. So that's one of the things you just have to be aware of with poetry. Um, Something else as well is that, you know, we're very often used to the kind of poetry that rhymes, and so we look for those kind of things. But poetry, you should be able to see in most Bibles, it's, it's just set out a little bit differently. And even if it did rhyme, it, it's not in our language anyway. <laughs> no, so, it it, so it wouldn't work, it would wouldn't it, really? Work. If it did in the first instance. And, and some of those things where you've got acrostics, like uh, in the Book of Lamentations or in Psalm 119, where it actually takes a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Oh. And then does it sort of letter by letter. All right, okay. Uh, we that's lose cool. all of that. Yeah, I don't see. see that at all. So the poetry is quite interesting. Um, and then, and there's probably more of it than you realise. A lot of the prophetic books have got poetic passages in. Where okay, so some books aren't just poetry. Some books have poetry in them. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah, it's true. So, I mean, Isaiah's got poetic sections, Jeremiah's okay. got poetic sections. Quite a lot of the prophets have. It seems that sometimes when God was communicating through them, there was a flow that they were able to produce in that poetic form. Um, but the prophetic books, yes, you do have uh, historic elements in that as well. Mm -hmm. So when a prophetic word's given, it's given into a context. So understanding that context is quite important. One of the things that is a little bit challenging is the way the Bible's organised, that you've got all the history books up the front end, mm. and then you've got the wisdom literature in the middle, and then you've got all the prophetic books yeah. in the Old Testament, like that anyway. And the New Testament's a bit similar, and you've got all the Gospels, then you get the Epistles, and then you get, well, after the Acts, you get the Epistles, and then you get the Revelation. But, but arranging it a bit like uh, you know, books on a library shelf sometimes leaves a little bit confused, because you probably need to pick down a prophetic book to put with the appropriate history book, yeah. so that you can see where the two fit together. The history books are pretty much narrative, so that okay, you've got so they a can story be read can a little unfold. bit like a novel. Yeah, it unfolds. Yeah, and uh, but obviously take it as as literal and not just telling stories. Yes, um, yes, yes. And then um, you've also then got within there the wisdom literature, which we're not quite so familiar with. But that kind of idea you can see it in Proverbs. We can go catch hold of that. Ecclesiastes is a little bit more difficult because it's written in a style. Does which, that lean more into poetry? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but uh, also there's a sense in which with Ecclesiastes you've got a whole sort of philosophical mix that mm -hmm. you have to work through in order to catch the heart of, of what's being said there. And of course Job's really interesting too in the way that it's constructed and almost like a play form mm. in order to convey the things that need to be said. Yeah, so quite a range. That's the Old Testament. New Testament, you've got the Gospels. Each of those Gospels has got a slightly different feel to them partly due to the audience to which they were addressed, but also 
the style of the writer comes through. Um, yeah, I think the new the New Testament's a lot easier in a way because it doesn't. You can tell that the, the the style of literature has changed. Yeah, you can. And you from can see the old the, into the new. Yeah, you can see that that's a, a historical account from the Gospels, but also constructed. John's is particularly constructed, whereas the others are trying to give an eyewitness account and they write yeah. it in that kind of tense. John comes across very differently because he's compiled it around seven I am sayings of Jesus and, and seven signs that he uses there. So you've got those. The book of Acts is pretty much a historical account. Like First bit soaking yeah. on Peter, second bit focusing on Paul. Paul. And then you've got the epistles. You've got all the Pauls put together in one section. And then you've got uh, Hebrews, which no one's quite sure who wrote that. <laughs> and then so when we, when we go into these uh, yeah. documents, <laughs> especially, I, I mean, for me, Old Testament, how, how important is it to be aware of the literary style that you're reading? Um, well, in some cases, it's not, it, it's not that essential. Um, sometimes when you're preaching... Uh, you can make some mistakes if you if you think that that the in the poetry the emphasis is bringing up separate points when it's actually emphasising the same point that can be a little bit laboured. Um, but generally speaking, it, it it isn't too important to know that. Obviously, when you're reading a book like Job, where you've got this construct where some of the people are are giving false counsel, and Job is speaking out of his heart, and then God comes in, you've got to know where you are in the in the play, if you like, to see mm. who's speaking. So some of it is quite quite essential that you've, you've got that kind of feel, you understand what the form of literature is. Um, and of course the Psalms, you know, you've got a huge amount of poetic literature there that you need to, to understand is poetry that you read with that kind of mindset. Yeah, because wouldn't there be some uh, danger in reading poetry and reading it as narrative? Yes, I'm, but quite a lot of, of what David wanted to record was narrative that he put into poetic form. So you, you just need to be aware of that as you're going through. I think all we can say in, is, as you do it, just, just read what you're, you're, you're reading and ask yourself some very straightforward questions as to what kind of style of writing is this, who was writing it, when so how, were they how, writing how, it, and how so on. How can we identify the style of writing? Well, we've pretty much done it in going through this conversation because, you know, there, there's... There's the poetic stuff, there's the wisdom, there's the narrative, you've got the prophetic, and it's all, all in there. And you, you get much of an idea from, from where the book sits in the Bible. You've got the narrative up front, right, you've okay. got the wisdom literature, and then you've got the, uh, and the poetry, and then you've got the, the prophetic books. So to some extent, the library arrangement helps us, even if it sometimes confuses us with the chronology of what's being set out there. Fair. But do you, when you're reading it, do you notice... Uh, if let's say you're reading um, one of the uh, prophets, yeah, do, do you notice when it moves into poetical? Yeah, sometimes I can. I, sometimes I can tell quite apart from the fact that the change is the print on the page in most Bibles, oh, and you can okay. see that it's actually gone into being framed like a poem. Yeah, um, and sometimes it's helpful just to notice that. Sometimes you just get the feel of it that this has gone into a different kind of flow. But one of the keys about the way to read the Bible, in my opinion, is. Don't just read it, read it, and reread it, and then mm. re-re-read it. And just keep going with it, because every time you'll get a greater sense of how it works and how it fits together. I know we touched on it before, but uh, the, the translations of the Bible. Yeah, sure. um, doesn't it, doesn't it distort the word? Doesn't it distort what I'm reading? 
I mean, th- slightly. Well, it's, it's interesting. One of the things I really am sure of is that the people that are going to all the trouble to put it into a language that communicates are desperate not to distort it. Mm. I think people come to Scripture with a real sense of, hey, I'm handling the Word of God. I love what um, J.B. Phillips said when he was producing his, well, this is years back, isn't it, just, I guess, post-war, uh, where he was producing the um, letters to the young churches and so on. He said it was like... Um, Trying to, trying to put the Bible into modern language was like trying to rewire a house with the electricity still turned on. Oh, which okay, is a good. great yeah, expression. That's really good. Really yeah, like yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you have some... Uh, because people, have, people always come in with their own uh, uh, agendas. Depending on what denomination you're even from, you will read the same passage in different ways or... Uh, you'll come at it with, oh, this means that. And especially if you're doing it, you know, thought for thought more, you, you might yeah. lean into that. Um, because I know there's two different ta- styles of, um, well, uh, two different types of translation. Sometimes one person does it by themselves. Yeah. And it's done the whole Bible. Group, yeah. And sometimes it's done by a group. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you have any recommendations when it comes to that sort of stuff? If it's done no, by No, I think really the issue is you've got to know whether they're going for a word for word translation or a thought for thought translation so that for you trumps yeah whether um, it's an individual or a grouping yes and the integrity of the people that are doing it um i okay. think is really important and one thing that we can do is to just go behind that a little bit because um in some ways when you're doing a translation or you're bringing out a version you've got to start with a text mm-hmm. and and how that text has been put together can vary a little bit so the text behind the authorized version is a little bit different from the text behind the new international version it's not hugely different, not enough to make any theological difference, in my opinion, but it does actually they have a slightly different, different balance. Codex. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, they use some of the different codices, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the things that weren't available um, when the authorised version text was put together have become available. The big question then is how much weight do you give to which mm. um, codices that you're working from or, 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 or whatever documents you've gathered? Do any translations work from multiple codices? Oh, yeah, most of them do. Oh, they do? Okay, they do, that's yeah. cool. And, and what they're doing is they're trying to put together what's called an eclectic text very often where you're drawing from all of these different different um, items of biblical literature that have been found, and you're trying to put that in and giving weight to it. And, and actually giving weight to a particular passage, is uh, well, a particular document, is quite difficult mm-hmm. because you're asking questions like, how old is it? Mm-hmm. What's the likelihood of the scribal um, transmission having been maintained through the period? Uh, are there any other copies that are extant? So all of those questions come in. Yeah, cool. Um, so when it comes to then when you're translating it, you're doing literal or thought to thought. Yeah. Uh, so literal will have some odysseys in it, surely. Yeah, of, sometimes, um, yeah. Where you take, where oddities, you take an expression... Um, because you're looking for a more exact equivalence than a dynamic equivalence. Okay. I think when we were talking the other day, you used about cats and dogs and trying yeah, to yeah. cats and dogs doesn't work in Spanish. It doesn't work in any other language. No, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a book, uh, Misunderstanding Scripture Through Middle Eastern Eyes, uh, Through Western Eyes, I think it's called. Um, my pastor talks about it. Um, and there's this great book. Uh, so it's the Bible that's been translated into a... Um, into a people group today that has only just got their uh, translation. Uh, I can't remember where in the world they are, uh, but obviously a people group that are not that discovered um, or 
you know, haven't had the Bible for them. So, uh, but if you translate it back into English, it talks about, you know, the oil of Aaron and stuff like that as car grease. Oh, right. And things like that, because they don't have the words, words that, for yeah. the things that are well, being you, said. And even basic things like, you know, when you're talking about the bread of life, in some situations, the staple is not bread at all. It's rice. Yeah. You know, do you talk about the rice of life? I, it's... And they have a completely different understanding of uh, the afterlife, of it being a community. Um, so that, so I think in, in they've presented it to them in a in a slightly different way, using the same Yeah, it is, it is hugely difficult, some of these translations into languages where you just don't have the extent of vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah, I've got friends that have worked with Bible translators, and wow, they must have had some real challenges. It's that village, actually, who've, who've uh, come up with whistles. Um, it's, it's a huge village, and they whistle to each other, and whistles are words. Wow. Imagine writing that down. Yeah, there's only like there's only like 200 words though. So to write it, yeah, okay. It'd just be like, hey, come over for tea. Yeah, write it on this stave. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when it comes to uh, for someone, I just want to go through a few different translations and literal verse uh, yeah. versus thought uh, for thought. Uh, so we've got the, the the King James New King James version, which is literal. Well, the New King James version, I would put in that category of literal. Uh, there is a there's a continuum, so you know you you don't say. These are this and those are that. No. So it goes across the spread. So New King James Version, yeah, pretty literal, based on what's called the Textus Receptus. So it's not drawing in some of the material that the NIV uses in the eclectic text. Um, and the other thing that's interesting about it with the New King James Version is that they've tried to remove the archaic language. Yeah. Which, you know, in some ways gives us the benefit of the King James Version, which was a pretty good version when it came out. Yeah. With that update. And then you've got... Um ESV English Standard Version, yep. which is sitting on the sitting in the middle, but sitting slightly more on the side of literal. Yes, it is. Yeah, and then yeah. NIV kind of in the middle again, no, but sitting say, more on the side. I'm, well, but I'm I, about to bring in the message. No, no, no. I, I would. Yeah, I know you are. I would say the NIV. The, the differences are, are not so much because of a, a, a thought for thought approach, although there is some dynamic equivalence, which they're very upfront about. It's worth reading the introductory section. I know it's mm -hmm. not the inspired word of God. It's yeah. the comment of the translators, but it's actually quite. What's your favourite book of the Bible? Oh, all that introduction. Yeah, no, the concordance. Genesis. The no, concordance wins every time <laughs> but uh, yeah so uh, with the NIV it, it's it, the differences are more due to the fact that it's drawing on an eclectic text rather than the textus receptus a received text but it's, it's quite it's quite a literal translation oh so NIV would go yeah, yeah, more yeah, literal with opinion. the ESV type yeah kind yes, of. yeah yeah so then NLT New Living Translation would go more thought for thought yes it's going in that direction isn't it and then you've got message which, which is, is deliberately very, very much very putting thought thought. into thought for thought language so would you suggest one to start with? If someone's never picked up a Bible, mm -hmm. would, what would you suggest? It's really difficult. I mean, the first thing you've got to do is get people really interested in what they're reading. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with people starting off with some sort of thought-for-thought -thought stuff. Um, but also I would encourage people that are, are, are really regular Bible readers to at times just read thought for thought because it'll challenge you and make you see things bit. in a different way. Yeah. Just as I would say to someone who's used to thought for thought, actually if you're going to do a Bible study, let's try and do it out of something that's a little bit more mm. um, going back to word for word. All right, our final uh, little piece. Um, how do we bring the word into today? Yeah. Which I think there's a fancy word for. 
Uh, Come on, go for it. Well, I've got it written down, so I, I mean, it would be cheating if I said <laughs> what, hermeneutics. hermeneutics. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's bringing that's bringing the word into today, right? Uh, I wouldn't put it quite like that. Um, yeah, I see that much more as contextualization. Okay. Hermeneutics is interpretation. So you're reading a passage yep. and you're trying to get at the exact meaning of that passage. So when you're doing hermeneutics, you've got to think very carefully about um, who it was written to, what was the geographical context, what was the political context. You're trying to actually understand the passage. Um, you probably do need to understand the author, both the human author and a good understanding of the Holy Spirit who's inspired it. Sorry, that, this just brings up a question for me later then. What is exegesis? Oh, exegesis is uh, exegesis basically means bringing out from. So you're bringing out from the passage the oh. what's in there. Okay, so okay, you're you're trying to. So get hermeneutics would come before exegesis. Yeah, really. Yeah, right. Got yeah. it. Got it. Got so it. hermeneutics, you're 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 reading it, and it's how you're reading it. One of the things that's really quite important these days when people are talking about hermeneutics is to realise that every reader brings their own pre-understanding to the text. And one of the things that you've got to do is to allow the text to address your pre-understanding so that you can reconsider what you're doing. If you do that every time you come to the text, you should be getting increasingly Closer. aware of what the text is saying without bringing that pre-understanding into a dominance. So we come with our own uh, human, humanutics. Um, <laughs> uh, we come in that, we read the word. After reading the word, that will inform now our rereading of the word yeah so we come at it again slightly changed yeah. or drastically changed yeah and then we read it again and just each and, time and there's something else as well about biblical hermeneutics which yeah. you don't get because hermeneutics applies to anything it's not just biblical hermeneutics it's how you read anything it's how you read oh. the text of life you can talk about hermeneutics but when you're looking at biblical hermeneutics you've also got the fact that the word is inspired by the holy spirit so inspiration is important but then you've got the word is illuminated by the Holy Spirit. So when you're trying to get to the understanding of it, the Holy Spirit is illuminating or enlightening your own understanding. So you may feel this is just me getting to understand it better. But if you're really open to the work of the Holy Spirit, because it's his word and he's trying to bring it into your heart, you're he's reading helping with you him. with it. Yeah, you're reading it with him. Not reading, yeah. 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 Never reading scripture alone. You've That's always good. Got the, yeah. Um, so what, when I'm reading a passage in the Bible then, so I, I just want to, you know, how, how do I read it? How do I make it relevant for me? Um, when I'm reading, uh, let's say, a passage in Judges or, or something, what can I be bringing out for it for myself? Okay. Well, hermeneutics is important, but I would say there's an element of contextualization there uh -huh. too. So you're looking at the context in which it was written, which is part of your hermeneutical exercise. But then you're looking at your own context and you're saying, my context is very, very different from this. What can I take from that situation to bring into this situation? Now, you may be able to say, well, one of the things I can take from it is an understanding of how God feels about justice. Because if you're mm. reading Judges, that's one of the yeah, things yeah, that you're yeah, looking yeah. at. So what is it that really carries over? Is it, is it word for word the legal system or is it the principle of God's justice being exercised and we need to understand that? So it's, it's taking some of those things and asking yourself, what is the lasting truth in this? And what is it that was just in that immediate context? A timeless truth. Yeah, what do we bring out that's timeless truth from those kind of things? So something, and principles as well. So, um, but, but first we need to understand the historical particulars 
about everything that happens. Yeah, ideally, the that, would be, and, that would be good. Uh, yeah, it, ideally. It gives you that. It gives you that. But um, then God's, God's amazing. You know, he, 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 he inspired this word and the Holy Spirit is illuminating the word to us. So time someone who, who's got no idea of the context, no idea of what mm. it is, will come along and say, God really spoke to me from that verse. And you look and think, wow, that's incredible because, you know, that was really applied to a totally different situation from yours. Yeah. And yet God can do that. He can shine light on his word in a way that speaks to us. I mean, I've had things where I know that God has really spoken to me really clearly from Scripture. And yet the context was, was so different from where I was at. But maybe it was a principle that God was bringing out or a timeless truth that was being brought home to me. Yeah. And I think you just double... <clears throat> you double check that with the grander picture of the Bible. Oh, absolutely. You? Because yeah, you I think people can, you know, scripture. be like, yeah, you know, you just get a word out like, there. Oh, I got this. I meant to do, oh, you know, there's lots of little sayings that people have my used. business yeah, partners yeah. out of everything. And it's like, no. <laughs> well, there's a thing, isn't there, where they say that uh, a text without a context is a pretext. Ooh. So in other words, you know, it sounds very deep. That's very it? deep. It is. Yeah. But I mean, basically, it's saying that if you just take that text yeah. and you take it out of context and then you use it in a situation to say, I'm living my life off this, you could be living your life off a pretext, something that isn't actually mm. worth founding your life upon. So checking is really an important, important principle, I think. Like it. Checking Listening to other people. Checking uh, scripture with scripture. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and don't be so arrogant that when you find a version, that, an interpretation that no one else has had, you go, man, God saved this up for me for all these centuries. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you got it wrong or maybe it's just, yeah. Um, no, that's awesome, Hugh. Thanks very much. Uh, well, next week we're going to uh, round up this series on the Bible uh, with part three on how do I follow it? Uh, but for now, uh, thanks so much. Please leave us a review on uh, iTunes or Google Podcasts, whatever you're listening to on, or um, just subscribe to us on YouTube. Thanks so much for watching slash listening. God bless. <laughs>